Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And the people were coming to him from every quarter. If you're a, if you're a story-based type person, if you, if you love the focus of, of narrative, you're going you're gonna to love the story that we're in today. Uh, if you're a little more analytical and, and need uh, some, a skeleton or a key thought to wrap your head around, let me just give you three words to just wrap around this. Come, kneel, and ask. And we're going to unpack what it means for those who are followers of Christ to come to him, to kneel before him, and, and to ask of him. Uh, if, if I'm correct, uh, there's only, this is one of only two stories where Jesus healed lepers. In Luke uh, 17, 11 to 19, uh, Jesus healed 10 lepers in Samaria, and this is one where he he healed just one, one guy. What I want to do is before we, before we go any farther, I want us to practice part of what we're going to be uh, unpacking today. And if you're able to, and if you're led, I uh, just ask that you would stop, turn around, that you would kneel at your seat, and uh, let's just pause and ask the Lord to, to speak to us, okay? Lord, we're to kneel before no person, before no money, no power, no other gods, but we declare the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We declare the God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit is worthy of our complete surrender, is worthy of us to kneel, to bow, to humble not only our bodies, but to to humble our our hearts before you, to humble our minds before you, to place before you our agendas, our time, all the things we think we own, but you actually own. We bow, we kneel before you and say, there is no God that's worthy of our surrender except you, Jesus. Speak to us, God. I know I, I can't move anybody's heart. I can't move anyone. Uh, to love you more. I can't move anyone to love one another as the church, as Christians more. And I can't motivate anybody to love and engage into the mission of God, uh, to love those that are, that are unbelievers around us, or to help the helpless, to bandage the wounded, to reach out and touch those that are marginalized. I can't move anybody. But Holy Spirit, you can. You can. So we ask that you do that. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you. You've already been here. You've already been leading us uh, through song and through prayer and through visual liturgy, uh, film, God. Um, we just pray you continue to work uh, as, as we're washed over with, with the word of God, with the voice of Jesus uh, through this story, God. Take just a moment and personally just say, Jesus, speak to me. Lord, may I not leave here changed. May not 
any one of us leave here without being changed. And even as Johnny's always already prayed, Lord, may there be someone or more than one that today is the tipping point, the aha moment by which they say, yes, Jesus, heal me, cleanse me, I surrender all that I am to you so that a friend of ours would become a family to us. Bless us in Jesus' name. Mark 1, uh, starting in verse 40, says, A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. This is leprosy. Um, it was, it, and Johnny unpacked some of this already. And uh, Man, I'm so grateful. Thank you, bro, for uh, just matching us up together uh, this morning with what we're doing. Um, uh, leprosy was this horrible disease where, your body parts literally rotted and, and uh, they, they fell off. It was incredibly uh, communicable. Uh, you could uh, be infected by someone else. And so they were, they were set apart. They were not allowed to live with, with everyone else. And uh, when they would see someone, they had to declare, unclean, unclean. And so people then would walk around them. They'd walk somewhere else so that they would not come in contact with someone who was so dirty, so infectious, and obviously must be a horrible person, must be someone that, that the wrath of God is upon them, and I want to stay away from that kind of person. Is, is, this is the, the way that they were treated. Um, there was fear, there was disgust. Um, it's much like, much like HIV and AIDS, especially when it was emerging in the 80s and, and in the 90s, uh, the way that, that people treated those with AIDS, um, they, were, they were outcasts, and, and, and people still treat them this way to some degree. Um, I remember there was an extended uh, family member of, of mine uh, that came down with HIV and AIDS, uh, and uh, we, uh, our oldest uh, was very young, just a baby at that time, and we had the opportunity to see this, this family member of mine, uh, and, and we did not see him. We chose to stay away uh, from this family member because we didn't know. Uh, we just we didn't want to take a chance for our, our baby to be infected. We didn't want to take. I didn't want to take the chance of my wife being infected and and dying. And so we did not go and see this family member of mine. Um, later on, uh, we found out um, found out that he was he was dying. And uh, um, we, at this point, God, this was, this was later on, and God did something within us where he, he said, you need to go. You need to go. And, and so in a total change of pace, uh, we ended up, and this is in a totally different state, uh, but we, uh, we went and we were able to be with uh, this family member actually as he was dying. And, and I, I remember holding his hand. It was the first time I'd ever been with someone when, when they'd actually passed, when they died. And I was able to be with this, this family member as they passed on and as they, as they died. And it was, uh, it, was a, it was a stark contrast. And, and, and I, I just look at that, and, and, and honestly, I, I don't necessarily think we made the bad, a bad decision or wrong decision with the information that we had in the beginning. But it shows you. It shows you what takes place in your life or in a community when there's, when there's fear. 
uh, when, when there's, when there's uh, uh, so much difficulty, when there's problems within a relationship of how do you deal with them to where, to where you, you don't spread it. And what do you do? What do you do? I, I remember we were in, in Haiti, Luke and I and his dad, uh, last year, and uh, there was a guy in a, a prison that we went uh, and ministered to. And, and there was, it was actually, do you all remember the cholera outbreak that took place uh, last year or maybe it was a couple years now? Um, uh, it, this was actually the epicenter, this, this uh, area of Haiti. Uh, and it turns out they said that the prison probably ended up being, being the place in which it was being spread. And so there were people that, that had cholera uh, and we, were, we had some people, we were treating them uh, at this time, but we were sharing Christ with them and the hope of Jesus. And I remember uh, Luke's dad, who's a surgeon, and he, he pulled me aside and showed me this one, one uh, young man that was in this prison, and he was all skin and bones, and he just said, he said, Dave, this guy has AIDS. And uh, um, I, it just, it took me back. It took me back to being with uh, my family member. And for us to be able to say, you know, we, we couldn't do anything other than maybe offer some uh, very subtle, over-the-counter uh, type pain meds to try to help and, some, and help out in some other things that he was struggling with. But ultimately, we were, we were telling him, look, you need to know about Jesus. He is the one that can, even though if your body's never healed, he can heal your soul. One in which you're an outcast and you're in, in a prison. We talked to these, these men about about how sin is a prison and it separates you from the love of God, but God's the one that he came to the prison. He came to this world that's broken. And he said, I love you. And and as we'll go even in the story uh, further, he's one that actually took our place in the prison so that we wouldn't have to remain unclean anymore. There are many people in, in, in our lives that they may not have AIDS, they may not have cholera, but they're outcasts. They're outcasts. And I ask you guys, just even process right now and for the rest of this time, who are the outcasts that are around you right now? Who are the people that are in your neighborhood? Who are the ones in your family or your extended family? You guys who are students, whether it's middle school, high school, college, I mean, who, who are the outcasts? Who are the ones that are, that are thrown away by everybody else? Now, let me tell you something. I'm not talking about fools. Proverbs talks about fools. Fools are those that they cause their own destruction. They cause even their own outcast as a result of destruction, of internal destruction or external destruction. And Proverbs in the Bible rightly tells us that you stay away from people that are foolish. Those that they're just stirring up trouble, that they're just causing destruction all around them. You stay away from fools. But that's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about the marginalized those that are the outcasts, these people who are, who are the lepers. We're talking about people that, that they were just set aside. Those rejected, those that are taken advantage of. Who are those that are around you? Students, I mean, think about this. I mean, who are the ones in your class or in your, in your hallway? Do you stand up for them? Do you defend those that can't defend themselves. Um, uh, my, my kids, uh, I, they've, I know that there's been times in which they've been on the wrong side of the fence, and they've been ones that maybe make fun, make fun of others, but I, I know that there's also a lot of some stories within them as we've tried to challenge them. So, you know, 
if there's someone that you see, if there's a girl out there or there's a boy out there and, and they're being picked on, they're being beaten up, that they're defenseless. You stand in between. You get in the middle of it, and even at the cost of your own, of your own health. Now, I'm not talking whether there's weapons or anything like this, okay? But schoolyard stuff, that you don't just allow that to go by. It is not okay for that to take place. You stand up for those that are defenseless. Even if they don't appreciate it, even if they don't even like you, you do what's right to stand up for those that are marginalized. You help. You help them. In fact, you're not just even loving that person. You're even loving the person who is, who is attacking them to say, you know what, I'm not okay with you doing this. You love them enough to say stop. So Jesus, Jesus had this leper that came up to him, and he implored him. He came and he, he, he bowed. He bowed before him. Luke chapter 5 talking about this same story here, says the leper fell on his face before him. No? I'm sure that he probably had to yell unclean to be legal to Jesus, but at the same time he came up to him and he said he got down on his face before Jesus. I think it's one of the primary reasons why this is in the, in the Bible. God's saying, look, the, the leper's not the hero, and you'll see Jesus is the hero of this story, but the leper's a model for us. That we be ones that we come before our God and we bow. We get on our faces before our God. And he said he asked. He asked him something. And uh, the, the, the Greek word that's used in here says it was an urgent appeal. That there is strong emotion tied to this where he's just saying, please, please listen to me. Please don't pass me by. Everyone else passes me by. You're my only hope, Jesus. Please, don't pass me by. And he said this. He said, if you will, you can. Guys, you need to memorize that little phrase. If you will, you can. The, uh, the phrase there where it says, if you will, it's actually, there's, there's, there's two different terms, two different original language terms but that, that have this uh, that would say, if you will. And the, the very first one, don't, don't miss this, you guys. The first one is a term that says it's an appeal to reason. So if you say, asking something to someone else, when you're appealing to their mind, when they're appealing to their logic, when you're appealing to their reason, to be able to say, I need you to do something, or I'm asking you to do something, and it's very logical for you to do it. The other one, the other term is an appeal to emotions, appeal to their heart. That This is the, what, what this leper said. He had an appeal to the heart of Jesus, not to the logic or to the reason. You know why? Because if he appealed to someone's reason about coming to him and touching him, nobody would say yes to that. It's not logical for someone who's clean to engage someone un, who's unclean. It's not reasonable for somebody who has a family that's safe for them to put themselves into a place in which I may be sick, I might die, I might spread it to my own family on behalf of someone who's a stranger. It makes no sense at all. And the leper knew that. So he didn't appeal on reason. He appealed to the heart of Jesus. He said, Jesus, please be merciful. Be compassionate with me. Would you respond to me? And man, you guys, do you know what Jesus said? He said, he said, I will. He said, I will. 
And it's important, I think, for us to pray this way, that we go before God. And when we pray to God, it's, you don't need to go before him and say, hey, listen, God, it's just logical, it's reasonable that you should be able to do all these things for me. No! You go before your God and you say, God, I'm calling out on behalf of your heart, on behalf of your compassion. God, mercy is what I'm asking. There may be somebody in here that, that you need a physical healing in, in your body. And, and I can't promise you any, any kind of healing from, from God. But you know what? If you need healing, come. Let's, let's pray about it. Let's go before. And, and what we're going to do is we're not going to list all, all the uh, pros and cons of Jesus, uh, why he should heal you. But we're going to go before and say, Jesus, would you just be merciful and, and bestow extra grace and extra compassion and heal. When you're praying for one another, even if you're praying, praying for yourself, for the healing of somebody, because you're going to have opportunities over and over again. There's, I, 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 would get, I would bet that sometime this week you're going to have an opportunity to pray for healing for somebody. It may be a physical healing. It could be healing of a, of a marriage relationship or, a, or a, a fighting between siblings. But some kind of a healing. And I just would say, go before God where you say, God, I appeal to you and to your heart and to your compassion. That's the way we need to be praying for one another. It's the reason why we need to, we need to pray for, for ourselves. Um, now, I, I don't have time to get into it. There is because, because of the cross of Christ, because Jesus died and took all of your unrighteousness upon him and all of his righteousness is placed on you if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian then there is actually a, a reasonable and logical way to go before the Lord and to just say, God, based upon what you've already declared, because you've declared me righteous, because you've made me a son, you've made me a daughter, I ask that you would do these things. It, it is okay to go before the Lord for that reason, but not because you're good, but because Jesus was good for you and his goodness is placed over you. But primarily... I think we are to go before the Lord and say, God, I appeal to your heart. I appeal to your compassion. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy. This, this phrase, if you will, you can, you could call this a sovereignty-based petition. Sovereignty-based petition. Most don't, don't doubt God's ability to heal, but they will... They'll doubt his desire to heal. They may think, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being punished by something, or might think, man, God doesn't love me, or God couldn't love me, or, or God doesn't care. But when we come before the Lord in, in, in this manner, and when we bow before him, we kneel before him, and we just say, God, I know that you can. I'm just asking if you would. That is sovereignty-based asking, sovereignty-based petition. You're showing respect and reverence to a God that he's the king over all things. That Jesus, if he stopped speaking life into your body right now, you'd fall apart. He's the one that ties the whole universe together. He holds it together with his hands. That he's intimately involved in everything that goes, goes on. And you're appealing before that powerful God. And you're saying, God, I know that you can. But I ask that you would. I ask that based on your desire that, that you would. And, I, and 
We're to do this in a humble way. We're to humbly approach our sovereign God. Psalm 147, verse 6, says, The Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. James 4, 6, he says, But he gives more grace, and therefore, he says, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You don't, need to be, you don't need to be Jesus' boss. You don't need to be dictating to him what he needs to do next. But if you will go and humbly place yourself under him and his authority and just say, God, you can do all things. And I pray that, that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You're approaching that in a sovereignty-based um, I normally will include the, those phrases from the Lord's Prayer when I'm praying for healing for somebody. Is I'll just say, God, may your kingdom come. I mean, w- when you see these miracles that took place in, in the Gospels and in the life of, in the life of all these people, um, what we've been studying is basically this is the kingdom of God exploding in the middle of this broken world. It's saying... He's saying the king is here, and he's bringing all of his power and all of his authority. And so what you're asking for is to say, God, would you do it again? Would the kingdom of God that's with you and as perfect and as powerful as that is there, would it explode right here? May your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your will be done. What you shout forth from your throne in heaven, may it explode right here in Hunts Vegas. God, may it happen in in my friend's life and in in my my mom's life. God, may you heal, may you touch. Jesus loves outcasts. I mean, you show show me somebody that's beaten down, show me someone who's rejected, and you've shown me someone that Jesus loves. And our hearts need to be moved in that way too. That we look around, that we, that we have a special filter in the contacts that we wear to where we, we, we kind of have our eyes ready to see those that are the outcasts, those that are marginalized, those that are, that are victimized, and that we love them. We love them. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to him, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. This is um, uh, the Luke passage um, about this story doesn't include this phrase that he was moved with pity. It's not that it didn't happen. Mark wants us to know that this is a God, that he's compassionate. He is not this transcendent God of the deists. He's not just this faraway God that just kind of spun this world up like a top and lets it go and just kind of makes notes of all of the the troubles and all the pain that takes place. And every once in a while, somebody's got things a little too easy and grabs a lightning bolt and zap, you know? That is not the God of the Bible. This is a God that he loves the weak. He loves those that are humble. He loves those that are outcasts. Some of y'all were outcasts, weren't you, growing up? Yeah, I know some of your stories. But you, you weren't the end person. You had people abuse you in different ways. You were rejected. Jesus loves you. 
Some of you, even, even right now, because of decisions that you make, it could be people in your family, it could be a colleague of yours, and you're, you're rejected, and they, you, they, they may be trying to make you die the death of a thousand cuts in the corporate marketplace. They're trying to push you out. They're trying to marginalize you. You know what? Jesus loves you. He loves you. Jesus engaged a sinner. The Bible tells us clearly Jesus was a friend of sinners, and he still is. He still is. He had compassion for those that were thrown away people. He cares. He cares for those that have been marginalized. Again, some of y'all, that there's something that you've done that people know about or maybe people don't know about. And as a result of that, you've either been marginalized or you've marginalized yourself. There's some folks that they're isolationists. And it's not because someone else has pushed them away. It's that you don't want anyone to know. You don't want anybody to get so close to you and to know about your baggage, about what you've really done or said or experienced or even what's been done to you that you had nothing to do with, but you don't want anybody to get that close because you don't want to go through that pain and you don't want to feel any more rejection. So you've isolated yourself. You've marginalized yourself and you just have these walls that have been built up around you, and, and, or you may be one that you might maybe not have, have isolated everything about you. You might be an incredible extrovert, and you engage with everybody, but there's a portion about you. There's this little secret part about you that's like, I'm never revealing that to anyone because I'll be rejected. It all shows us what we really believe about the gospel, about Jesus. It shows us what we really believe about about forgiveness, and what he wants us to know is, and then in this story, when he cleansed him, he was immediately clean, immediately clean. That when when Jesus forgives, it's immediate and it's total, and there's never any other day, any other hour, any other second with which you're unforgiven or cast aside from God Himself. That. Is unbelievable love. That's the gospel, you guys. And we need to say, God, all right, do I believe that? Do I believe that for myself? And do I believe it enough to, to practice that in, in community? You know, I hear, I hear more and more stories about divorces, people which they get past the honeymoon stage, you know? They get past the point of, by which they, they just get so frustrated with, with one another. And, and because they don't understand what grace is, they don't know how to apply grace. And it's just, I've been thinking about this this last week, and, and I just thought, you know, man, one of the most important things for anybody who wants to be married someday or is married now is to understand that grace will save your marriage. Or if you're not based upon grace, your marriage is going to fall apart. And I want to come against a lie. I don't want to stay too long on marriage because that's not what we're, we're talking about today. But I want to come against a lie that says, hey, 50 years ago and 60 years ago of all the incredible marriages because they stayed together for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years and then they died and you know, they died intact. That's a bunch of crap. There's a lot of folks out there that they stayed together in the same house, but they were divorced in their heart because they didn't understand grace either. 
We don't need to just get back to the 50s. Leave it to Beaver is not going to be the solution. It's only understanding grace. It's understanding when Jesus says, be clean, you're clean. When Jesus says, be forgiven, you're forgiven. When we understand that, we can bend that grace out to one another in marriage and in family and friendship, neighbors, where we're ready. You don't marry for the good times, you marry for the bad times. Even in a church, don't be a part of a church because it feels so good. Be a part of a church for the bad times. To be able to say, man, this is a bunch of people that understand grace. There's a bunch of people that will be able, will be able to stick tight to the cross when the times get really hard because they're going to get hard. They're going to get hard. All right, I got to get off the marriage thing. I don't have time, time for that. So I guess maybe somebody needed that. Um, he engaged. He engaged a sinner. He engaged the outcast. I, I please hear me. I, I know there's got to be somebody listening to this now or sometime later that you need to know that you are not beyond the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you so much. He paid the ultimate price. For you, to win you, to ransom you, to, buy, to purchase you so that you could be free, so that you could have real life within him. He did this with this and, and with this man. Some people have, they're living a life of external leprosy that God and others know what it is that they did. They feel rejected, feel like others couldn't love them. But again, some people live a life of internal leprosy. Where it's like if, if they really knew, nobody can see it, and I reject myself. And God is one that He can heal both external leprosy and internal leprosy. He's one that can, that can heal and bring, bring hope for those who, who are externally marginalized and those who even internally marginalize themselves. He gives hope. He gives faith. To where we can take the risk, we can open up. James chapter 5, it says, Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Not just talking physically, but it says, You know what? Bring it out into the light. This is who I am. This is what I've been struggling with. Not to glorify sin, not to glorify actions that you've done or others have done unto you, but to be able to say, I'm freed from these things. I don't have to be held down anymore because Jesus loves me. He's brought me to a family that he loves, and he's teaching us to love one another. You know what's going to happen when you take those risks? It's not always going to go, go right, I mean, because we're going to fail one another. But if we walk it out together and keep proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and to one another, God's going to do an amazing work within us. He was moved with pity. He engaged him. It says he touched him. He touched the leper, you guys. He touched him. There's so many examples of how Christians fail, of how I fail, and fail with one another. There's many examples of how the Christian church at times has made things worse rather than making things better. But you know what? Don't be totally distracted by, by those things. Because the vast majority of what God has done over these last couple thousand years through the people of God is He's done amazing things. Let me just give you one example. Back when the Black Plague took place in Europe. And all, and, and I mean, it's spreading like crazy. It's worse, worse than leprosy. Worse than leprosy. 
And the pagans, and I'm talking specific pagans, those who worshipped other gods, they were abandoning their own family members. And they were leaving them, and they were skipping town and just leaving them to die. And you know who stuck around? You know who the compassionate ones were? You know who, who died? The Christians stuck around. And for their pagan friends, pagan neighbors, they served them, and they caught the black plague themselves, and they died loving them. Why? Because God says, there's no outcast that's too far from me. They're like, I've been saved. I've been freed. So what is my life other than to tell others and to try to live out the truth that there's a God that loves them too? And they did. They proclaimed the gospel and they lived the gospel out to the cost of their life. You might say, you know, Dave, I just don't think I, don't think I could do that. I don't think I could, I could give my life and, and, and let my life end for somebody else. Guess what? Your life's going to end someday. You're giving your life somewhere anyway. Give it to Jesus. Just be able to say, all right, God, I'm willing, I'm willing to do whatever you say, whenever you say, however you say it, for whoever you say to do it. And just offer it. I mean, that's, that's a place of faith. I'm not telling you who you've got to minister to or who you've got to love. The Holy Spirit will, though. What your job is is not to just say, well, all right, God, I'll, I'll, I'll obey you as long as it's not this caveat and this caveat and this caveat. Just take those caveats. Take them. Bind them up and just say, God, would you please take these out of my hand? And then tomorrow help me to offer it to you again. And he will. And it may not happen, boom, just like that to where you're, you're freed of all these, these fears and anxieties. But just day by day, God will chip away chip away at these areas where there's lack of faith, and God will show you. You know what's amazing about about this touching of this leper of Jesus is according to Jesus' law, Jesus at that point became ceremonially unclean. Jesus at that point became someone that no one else who's religious should have touched him at this point. This means that Jesus, from that point on, would not even have been allowed for a, for a time to go into worship with the other followers of God, with the priests. He wouldn't have been allowed to go into worship with them. Guys, this is a picture of the gospel. Jesus became unclean so the leper could become clean. That's how much he loves marginalized, rebellious sinners. He loves you. He loves me. And he became unclean so that you could be clean. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ is what the scripture says. He didn't actually become it. But it's, but, and, and we're not actually the righteousness of Christ. But it says he took all of it upon himself so that we could take all of his righteousness over us. This is incredible news, guys. This is what you need to know. What you need to bank on every day and your friends, and your classmates, your fellow colleagues, your, your neighbors, they need to know that they don't have to be separated from God because of their sin, that there is a God that loves them so much. Do you all realize that this is unlike any other religion or faith system? There is no faith system out there where the God or the creator of the universe became his own creation and died for his creation so his creation could become a part of his family. 
And that's the story of our God. There is no God like our God. There's none. There's, there's no story that holds a candle to Jesus to the point where it's, it's ludicrous. It, 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 is, it makes no logical sense. It's not reasonable that God would do that, but yet that's who He's always been. He loves you. He loves you. He became unclean so the leper would, would be clean. Jesus said, I, I will be clean. In response to, to this, this leper that came, that bowed, and that asked. He said, I will be clean. God is certain. God knows exactly what he's going to do. And though you may ask for years for whatever it may be, and you may never get what you're asking for, God is certain on what needs to take place. And he's also certain that you're to always come, bow, and ask. Even if you never get what you're asking for, always come, bow, and ask. It needs to be a part of your system every day. You come to him, you engage him. And that, again, that just tells us he's close. He's not far off. He's saying, draw near to me. Bow before me. And ask. Just knock. Knock away. Verse 43 and 44 says, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. He said, he, He sternly charged him. In Luke, it said he, he commanded. He commanded him. Here, here in Mark, it's a more forceful word that he's using to describe what Jesus said. It's a Greek word that actually means the the snorting of a horse. I mean, it's just it's powerful. It's it's stern. It's got it's got a force behind him. And 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 he was he meant what he said. He said he said two things. He said, "Go see the priests," and he said, "Don't talk about this. Don't talk." Don't talk, go get proof. Now, here's, here's the thing on, on that part of it, of going to see the priest, because he was still declared unclean, though Jesus had now made him clean. But he needed, for him to be reinserted into the community, he needed to go before those professionals, the priests, and he said, go show them the proof so that you can be declared clean. See, Jesus, man, he doesn't, it's not just about our relationship with him, but he cares enough that he, he will tell us what we need to do so that, so that where relationships have been broken, where there's been difficulty, Jesus will say, here's what you need to do. And you can't control whether you're going to be accepted or not, but here's what you need to do. Go and show, and go show what I've done. Go and re- walk out so there's proof and fruit of what I've done in your life. That's what you have to do. And with, whether reconciliation takes place or not, do what you are supposed to do. Now, I think this also speaks something to those who are leaders. If you think about these, these priests and, and what their job is in this. What Jesus declares, leaders should declare. We don't know, we don't know what happened next. I assume that he went there, they saw that he was clean, and that they declared him as being clean as well. We don't know that for sure, but, but I know this. If Jesus declares something... Leaders, you better declare it as well. 
And when Jesus declares that a person is clean, that they're whole, and they're forgiven, leaders need to declare that they're whole, they're clean, and they're forgiven. That is the gospel. It's the gospel. There's communal ramifications of being forgiven, being cleansed, or even repentance. There's that confession is, is it's relevant it needs to be relevant to the situation. And you don't, if it was a private sin with just one, to, toward one other person, it's not something that needs to be confessed to the multitude. But if it's something, a sin or, or in, in your life, I mean, I'm pull, pulling away a little bit just as we talk about when, when sins do occur in our lives, that if it's a public type of thing, whoever it is, whatever the relevance is to the community of that sin, that's where the confession needs to take place. That's what's, that's what's appropriate when it's a sin that brings destruction to others, we need to seek reparation. We need to seek to restore or repay what's been destroyed, and that's a part of fruits of repentance, is to say, I'm not okay with the destruction that my choice has made, but I'm going to do everything that I can to try to repair, repair the walls that have been, been breached. Verse 45, last section. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter I, as I was first studying this I, I was thinking through I was like well you know was it a test was it kind of a thing? Was it reverse psychology of, of like, well, I'm going to tell you not to do this, but you're supposed to, to do it anyway. Hey, don't say good things about me. Wink, wink, you know, it, and, and just see if the dude, dude really tells. It, it, I, don't believe, I don't believe that it was. For whatever reason, he didn't want him to talk. It could have been something specific about the man. could have been that he knew the results of what was going to take place when the, if the story spread. But you can count on this, that when God tells you something, there are way more ramifications to what he's telling you than you're thinking about. You may think of one or two angles, and God's like, there's about 100 angles here, Dave, you know? And and so if if you think you know better than me, you know, and you're trying to work it to the angles, like, well, those two little things, it's going to work a little better here. He's like, like, Dave, you don't realize it's going to go wham, 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 right over here. It's going to cause all kinds of other difficulties if you don't obey, I mean, I, my opinion on this is, I mean, Jesus knew that there, the more ministry he did, that the more his detractors were going to be stirred, the less time he was going to have to train his disciples and prepare them for the birth of Christianity when, when he left. And so there's a timeliness. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the cross late, and I don't want to go to the cross early. And so he's like, I need to, I'm, he's managing things as, as a leader, as God. But as a result, the disobedience of this man. And isn't this crazy? Right after being cleansed and, and healed, and even out of good, out of a good heart, I think. He's like, well, no, I know, I'm gonna do this anyway, you know? His disobedience affected God's mission. Now, know this, I mean, God's gonna, He's gonna complete His overall mission, no matter what. But how He accomplishes it. And who he accomplishes it through is affected by our obedience or our disobedience. Things can be altered. Sometimes we think we know better than God. Sometimes we we do what we think will glorify God and further his mission, even when it's contrary to what he's told us. How do we bring this 
to everyday scenarios, listen. You need to listen carefully to the Word of God, to the Bible. And you need to obey God's Word even when you don't completely understand. If we don't, we just make things more difficult. I just want to kind of pull all this back together as we reflect and and respond to God today. Um, God is a God who cares and heals even when we don't obey. Isn't that good news? I mean, even that leper, I mean, he screwed some things up there, but God still loved him. You know, even trying hard, there's times when we screw things up. God loves you anyway. Even when you throw in the towel and just say, forget about it, I'm, I'm, I'm going the other way. And you become prodigal for a minute or a day or a month. God still loves those that are his children. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6, says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see it? You see it, guys? Man, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to pay for every one of, every one of your sins. And, my, and your peace is going to be as a result of what I do. He brings a healing It brings a healing. He's a healer of bodies. He's a healer of the soul. And so what do we need to do? Come, bow, and ask. Frequently, consistently. Now let's talk about what does not qualify there. Worry and anxiety do not qualify as coming, bowing, and asking. Being ticked off at Jesus for what he allowed to happen does not qualify as coming, bowing, and asking. Telling God what to do does not qualify as coming, bowing, and asking. Complaining to others about the problem that you have does not qualify as coming to Jesus, bowing to Jesus, and asking Jesus. Maybe some takeaways that are some action items for you guys to process through is, again, who who are the lepers that are around you? There are some. There are some. There are th- some that are external lepers who people have marginalized them, and there are those that are internal lepers that they've marginalized and isolated themselves. The external lepers, how can you love them? How can you share that the Creator, their Creator loves them deeply? What are you going to do this week? Who is it? Who is it that God's putting on your mind and on your heart right now or between now and lunch? I mean, who's somebody that they're marginalized externally or internally? Who are they? And what are you going to do in this week to reach out to them? How can you bring the healing, the cleansing, and compassion of Jesus to their doorstep? What about the internal lepers? And maybe if you're an internal leper and you think that no one could love you, you've marginalized yourself. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. There's forgiveness for whatever it is. 
There's cleansing. There's wholeness for even what's been done to, to you. Come to his family. Come in to, to, with us. We don't have it all together. But the point is that Jesus does. We're a bunch of misfits, but we're loved by God. We continually screw up, but we're eternally loved by God. Here's the gospel, guys. Jesus became unclean so that we could be clean. So come, kneel, bow, and ask. We're going to give a a time for you guys to reflect and respond to this. And, And if you're one of our friends that... You're not a believer. You've never come to a place of surrender. You've not come to Jesus and said, cleanse me. I just pray that you hear his voice today and that he does the spark in you that's necessary that, allow, that, that gets you to that place where you say, Jesus, would you cleanse me? And he will. He says, I can and I will be clean. And jump into the family of God today. And there's others of us that were Christians and, and we're, we're going to take communion and there is, I want you to think about the healing of God as we take. We're going to do it, do it uh, like we did a few weeks ago uh, today. It's going to be, going to be more, um, well, we're all going to take together in just a few, a few minutes. Um, what we're going to ask you guys to do is, if you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian in here, this is, not the, this is not for you because it wouldn't be appropriate for you to proclaim that Jesus died for you and you've surrendered to him and he rose again through this. And so it's, it's best for you to just to stay. But in a moment, uh, what we're going to do is, is uh, the table. There's a table back here by the safe. There's a table right over here underneath these lights by, this, uh, by the welcome table there. And I'm going to ask you to go and take the bread to dip it either in the wine or in the juice and go back to your seats. There's some napkins over there as well. And then in a moment, when we're all back together, we're going to all take together as, and we're going to just proclaim together, God, you've cleansed us through your blood. Um, God, uh, thank you that anyone who comes and says, if you will, you can save me, that you say, I will be saved, be cleansed. And I thank you so much for that, Lord Jesus. Help us as right now as we, as we reflect, as we respond, as we go and get the elements that, that stand for your body that was broken and the blood that poured out for us.